Okay, and uh, Shalom, welcome to this week's class. The title of this week's class is Telling Your Story, Getting to the Essence of It All. And as I always do, let me go ahead and take a moment just to copy-paste a link to the notes so that if you want to print it up, um, you'll be able to print it up and follow along or read it later. And there we go. Hold on one second. Here we go. Okay. So there you go. Now you have it in the uh, in the comments. You have the um, the notes that's uh, for this class. Okay. So as you know, we always start with a modern day issue. Um, that is the entire purpose and focus of any mystical teaching which is to get to the modern-day issue, how to become a better person today in my relationship to God, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my fellow humans. So this is the modern-day issue. The greatest struggle of an artist, and often it becomes the never-ending driven pain of the artist, is trying to give the essence of his story through his art. And now the focus over there is on the word essence. The struggle often creates an unhealthy relationship between the artist and his art, not allowing him to be okay with his art, show his art, or to depart with any of his art. And it all comes from this sort of self-loathing and disgust with the art that it isn't what he or she really wanted to express. Now, Hasidus explains this struggle as the paradoxical relationship between essence and expression. So in everything, in the world of Kabbalah, everything has its inner dimension, which is its essence, and its external dimension, which is its expression. And being that essence defies expression, it defies description, thus essence defies expression. Why so? Because expression is based upon the boundaries, form, and description of that which is being expressed. You can't express something unless you understand its boundaries, its form, its description, and then the expressing is about that description. When the article being expressed defies description, there will never be any satisfactory expression, and that will appease the one describing the article. Thus, the never-ending struggle of the artist who adamantly wants to express nothing less than the essence of his thought, feeling, or soul. But by very definition, essence defies description and thus defies expression. So the minute there's an expression in any form of art, it's not the essence. The best the artist can do is to seize control over his work get out of the way, do the best he can in remaining loyal to what he is trying to express, and then to allow the audience to work out for themselves what the art is saying to them. And the more the artist succeeds in getting out of the way, the more the artist will succeed in expressing the core of what he seeks to express, albeit never fully expressing the non-expressible indescribable essence and so it is with relationships this is not a class for the artist it's a class for everyone and it reflects upon us in the way we deal with 
relationships. Now, the frustration of someone in a relationship when they're expressing, you don't understand, to which the other argues, no, 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 I, I do get it. To which the first person writhes in the pain of not being understood, coupled with the fact that the other person doesn't even realize that they don't understand. The outcome of the frustration begins to creep in as the loneliness of not being understood at our very core essence. This begins to gnaw at the very foundation of our relationship. The feeling of loneliness is the ultimate corrosion of the very foundation of a relationship. And loneliness is not being understood, feeling that you're not understood in your relationship. And thus, let's talk about this for a moment. After all, what are we all truly seeking for in our relationship if not true intimacy? And I hereby use the word intimacy as into me see. And we each want to have that intimacy, the true depth of intimacy to feel that our essence is being understood and known. And thus, can anyone ever truly see in our, into our non-expressible, indescribable essence? In this lecture, we're going to explore how one can truly tell their story, the story of their very essence. This lecture is based primarily on a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe, blessed memory, delivered on this Shabbos in 1965, exploring the mystical secrets that Jacob wished to tell his sons before his passing. And now for a couple of introductions, and then we'll be able to get into the lecture, excuse me. This week's Torah portion is the conclusion of the first of the five books of Moses, Chumash Bereshis, the book of Genesis. Now, the book of Genesis, Bereshis, is also called Seif Ayesharim, the book of the righteous ones, the straight ones. And the reason why it's called so in the holy books is because the book of Genesis tells the story of our patriarchs who lived a righteous and straight life. Thus, the closing portion of the book of Genesis discusses the death of Jacob. Now, in this, week's, in this week's portion, we're going to see what Jacob's final words to his children are. And I quote to you. It's a chapter, 28 verses, chapter 49 of Genesis. Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather, and I will tell you what will happen to you at the end of days. Gather and listen. Sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. And then he goes on, and he begins to bless each one of his sons. Reuben, you are my firstborn, goes all the way to Benjamin, is a wolf, and he, he will pray. And then he closes up by saying, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them and blessed them. Each man according to his blessing, he blessed them. Okay, so let's see how Jacob started and how he diverted from what he started. At first, Jacob says to his sons that he wants to tell them what will happen at the end of days. However, instead, he all of a sudden changes the topic and starts giving each one of his sons blessings for their future, meaning the tribe that will come forth from that son. But he never does reveal to them what will happen at the end of days. Now, Rashi, Rav Shlomo Yitzchaki, 
He explains this as follows, and I will quote. He attempted to reveal the end, but the Shekhinah, Hebrew word for divine presence, withdrew from him. So he began to say other things. So what we're hearing here is that Jacob tried to give over what will happen at the end of days. And instead, he doesn't reveal to them. He's not able to reveal to them what's in the end of days. Question, why? And the second question is, what did Jacob achieve by instead giving them each blessings for their futures? So now we understand why we're talking about this topic. Jacob tried to give them something, couldn't give them something, gave them something else. But how did he accomplish what he wanted by giving them something else? Now, for a moment, I want to talk to you about the Shema. Because the Talmud talks about the story of Jacob and how Jacob wanted to reveal the end of days, couldn't, and then change the topic. It talks about it in the tractic of Pesachim. And over there, the tractic actually is doing something very interesting. It's not talking about the story of Jacob. Rather, it's talking about why is it that when we recite the Shema Yisrael, we insert between verse number one and verse number two, the saying, the sentence, blessed, blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. So just that you know, the Shema comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six, verses four to nine. Now, chapter verse four is, Hero Israel, God is our God, God is one. Verse 2 is, and you shall love God with all your, love God your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. When we say the Shema every day, we say, Hear, Israel, God is our God, God is one. Then we insert the next verse, blessed be the name of glory forever and ever. And then we say, and you shall love God your God. The Talmud wants to know where this custom came for inserting this verse. Just that you know. The first time we find any documentation of this being said, not in Shema, is actually in the Holy Temple when the Talmud in Yuma that talks about the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur, it says that when he mentioned God's name, God's true ineffable tetragrammaton in its proper pronunciation in his prayer in the Holy on the temple on Yom Kippur, all the people that heard the name would immediately bow and say, Blessed be Baruch Shem Kavod Machuto Leolam Ba'ed, blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Thus, the question is, how did this get into the Shema? And for this, I'm going to quote to you from the Talmud Tractic Pesachim and page 56a. Now, this is what it says here, and I'm quoting to you. As Rab Shimon ben Lokish said, that it is written, and Jacob called his sons and said, Gather around and I will tell you what will occur to you in the end of days. And now he explains, Jacob wanted to reveal to his sons when the complete redemption would arrive at the end of days. But the divine presence abandoned him, rendering him unable to give prophecy. He said, Perhaps the divine presence has abandoned me because... Heaven forfend, one of my descendants is, us, is unfit, as was the case with my grandfather Abraham, from whom Yishmael emerged, and like my father Isaac, from whom Esau emerged. His son said to him, that means Jacob's sons responded to him, Hear Israel, our father, his name was Israel, Jacob, 
The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. They said, just as there's only one God in your heart, so too there's only one in our hearts. At that moment, Jacob our father said and praised, Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever, as all his children were righteous. So the first time we see a response to the verse, Hero Israel, God is our God, God is one. The response of the verse, Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever, happened in precisely the story that we're talking about in our Torah portion. When Jacob tried to reveal to them the end of days, he couldn't. And because he couldn't, he questioned whether his children were not faithful and loyal to God. They answered him, Hear, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. And he responded with praise, thanking God that all his children are faithful and true to God. He answered, Blessed be the name of that glorious kingdom forever and ever. Now, for us, we now understand a different part of the story. Before Rashi just told us that Jacob tried to reveal to them the end of days, and the, the spirit, this presence of God lifted from him, and then he changed the topic. The Talmud is telling us some more details. What we're seeing from the Talmud is that on the one hand, the children of Israel, all his children, all his 12 sons, were all loyal and faithful, but nevertheless, they were unfit to receive this revelation. And thus, Jacob changes his tactic. Now, instead, he tries the best that he can to transmit what he tried to transmit, as we will soon see. The simple story seems to say that he completely changed topics and gave up on what he tried to do. He gave up on trying to reveal to these children what will happen in the Messianic era. But rather, according to Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism and Hasidism, he did not give up. He rather took a different tactic in giving over as best he can what he originally started out to do. Now, I want to share with you something else. The verse says, Hasifu gather and I will tell to you what will happen at the end of days. Now, we understand from our sages that the end of days means the messianic era. But how do we know that? Seemingly, when he says what will be at the end of days, he doesn't mean the end of all days. Seemingly, he means he knows that his family sees that they left Israel and came down to Egypt. He could have simply been telling them what will happen and how they will get out of Egypt. How do we know that he really means the end of days, messianic era, what will happen when Mashiach Tzidkenu will come? And thus, we're going to say that the reason how we know that he wasn't referring to anything other than the ultimate end of days, when Mashiach will come, the answer is from the terminology that Jacob used. He used the word va'agida, gather and I will tell you, Agida. Now, in the Torah, there are three different terminologies for describing the act of transmitting information orally. One is Dibur, like the word Vayedaber, which means to speak. One is Amira, Emor, Vayoymer, which means to say. And then there is the particular Agida, which means to tell. What is the difference between these three terminologies? So the difference is that the terminology of dibur, which means speak, is very external. 
when we have the transmission, an oral transmission of a feeling or of a thought through Vayedaber and he spoke, the law tells us that it could very well be that Echod Bepeh Ve'echod Belev. He has one thing in his mouth and another thing in his heart, which simply means that he doesn't really mean what he says. When we use the word Dibur, it could manifest itself that way. Now, when we use the word Amira, the terminology of Amira, we have a saying of Amira Belev, which means it's in the heart. However, interestingly enough, even within the heart, we are taught that there are two dimensions of the heart. There is the external will and the internal will. Now, in the external will, the person truly believes that he wants what he feels that he wants. He really thinks that he's telling you what lies in his heart. But often, it isn't until he's truly broken, until the ego, the narcissism, the self-centeredness is broken, that he truly becomes in touch with that which he truly essentially wants. Thus, the word Amira, even though it's coming from the heart, and he truly believes that this is what he wants, sometimes he will learn the hard way that what he thinks he wants and what is his real goals and his real destiny and what he's chasing is not what he really truly wants when the narcissism and the outer shell cracks and he gets to see what is truly in the depths of his heart. So both the Dibur and the Amira, the speak and the say, is all about external transmission. How do you give over the essence of your story? So for that, we're going to look at what the Holy Zohar, the book of Jewish mysticism, says upon this word, Va'agida, and I will tell you. Now it says, that whenever you find the terminology of Agadah, by the way, I am not talking about the Passover Haggadah. I'm talking about the word Agadah, which means to tell. Now, the Zohar says you should know that whenever you find in the Torah the word Agida, Agadah, anyone that any one of those terminologies of the tell, not to speak and not to say, you should know that you're about to come across Milin de Chochmisa. Aramaic, you know, there's always not in Hebrew, it's in Aramaic. Aramaic for the words, words of wisdom. Now, you may think this means wise words. No. In the teaching of Kabbalah and Hasidus, when we say milin de chuchmisa, what we really mean is that wisdom is going up to the source, the essence of the infinite light from which wisdom comes. And that's what wisdom is transmitting. So it's not that the words are transmitting wisdom, but rather when the Zohar says this, what it means is that wisdom is transmitting its ultimate source, the essence of the infinite light, through the words which he's about to tell Agida. Now, thus we are speaking here of Jacob drawing forth for his children the essence he didn't say, come and I will speak to you. He didn't say, come and I will say to you. He said, gather and the Agido, I will tell. The Zohar has shed light. 
that the reason why he used the words va'agida tell is because he's about to transmit essence. Now, which is what will be when Mashiach comes, as we will soon see. Now we understand the Zohar is telling us how do we know he was going to talk about Mashiach and the divinity that will be in the time of Mashiach is because he used the word agida. Agida means tell, which means essence transmission, not anything less than or anything external other than essence. Essence transmission is what Mashiach is all about, as we will see later on in the class. And now, let us begin the lecture. So as you know, um, every week when I do this, I first give a list of what mystical concepts we'll be discussing here in this uh, lecture. And then through understanding these mystical concepts, we'll be able to wrap it up, answer our questions, and most importantly, go back to the modern day issue that we introduced. So here is the list. Number one, the mysticism of va'agida, that Hebrew word which means, and I will tell. Agadah in the Torah. What does it mean, Agadah? Remember, not Haggadah, which is the book of Passover, but Agadah. We'll explain it. The third thing is, when a Rebbe connects, what happens when a Rebbe connects to the people? And then the fourth, Jacob has his way. These are the four mystical topics we're going to explain, and then we'll be able to understand the entire concept. And let the amazement of Hasidus begin. So, the mysticism of Agida. So, let's dive right into the Zohar. The Zohar is going to tell us what is the secret of the word Agida. Now, the Zohar is actually built upon a teaching in the Talmud. The teaching in the Talmud in Tractic Shabbos actually tells us meanings, mystical meanings to the letters. Aleph Bet means Aleph Bina, teaching understanding. And then it says Gimel Dalet. So let me just share with you, in my notes, for those who read Hebrew, you'll actually have a picture of the Hebrew spelling. The word va'agida is vav aleph, gimel, yud, dalit, and hey. The Zohar says that the secret power of the word va'agida lies in the middle letters, gimel, yud, dalit. The tractic in Shabbos, the Talmud, the tractic Shabbos says, that Gimel Dalit stands for Goimel Dalim, giving the poor. Thus we have over here the concept of a transmission, the concept of giving. Gimel means to give, Gomel. Dalit is the recipient, the poor. By the way, the Talmud actually says that's why the gimbal has a little leg sticking out, running to the Dalit. He's not just giving him, he's running to give the poor. Now, one more mystical concept, which is that the letter Yud in between the gimbal and the Dalit is actually what we call the emanation of foundation, Yisod, of the giver. Now, let me just tell you what that means. What that means simply is the definition of the word Yisod is, like I said, foundation. It is the transmitter part of the giver. And it means commitment, the commitment to give. Thus, we now have that the Zohar is telling us that the secret of the word Va'agida is the ultimate sense of giving through the foundation, through the transmitter of the giver, 
to the recipient. Gimel Yud Dalit. The giver, the transmitter of the giver, and the receiver. Now, what the Zohar says, therefore, since we're talking about true giving to the receiver, we're talking about an essence transmission. Thus, we know that this is going to be milin de chokhmiso, words of wisdom. And again, as I shared with you, what mysticism means by that is that wisdom will reach into its ultimate source, the essence of the infinite light, and transmit that essence through the words, words of wisdom. Now, with that being said, he goes on to say something else. The Zohar goes on to say, just like we're talking about spiritually, revelation of divinity, there is this concept of Agida, which is the revelation and transmission of the essence, not just expression. So too we find in the Torah. He says that in the Torah, there is something called Agada. Now, I want to share with you, in the Torah, you will have two parts of the Torah. For our conversation, I'm going to divide it into two parts. One is the legal part, which includes all the definitions and details and parameters and measurements of the obligations and the prohibitions of the 613 mitzvot and all their offshoots in the rabbinical barriers that they do to the boundaries to protect it. That is the large bulk of what we study in the Torah. But then there's something else in the Torah, which is called Agadah. Now, the definition of the word Agadah, the literal definition would be tale, lore. A tale, a lore. Now, let me share with you what I found, the beautiful, and I went and I put in the link. I found on Wikipedia a very nice, long explanation of what Agadah is. So I want to share it with you, okay? What it says over here is, whoa, oh, I'm sorry, Agadah, okay. Agadah refers to non-legalistic exegetical texts in the classical rabbinical literature of Judaism, particularly as recorded in the Talmud and Midrash. In general, Agadah is a compendium of rabbinic texts that incorporate folklore, historical anecdotes, moral exhortations, and practical advice in various spheres from business to medicine. Interesting. That is the simple way of looking at what Agadah is. Let's take a deeper look at that. There is an interesting teaching. The study of these teachings which is the teachings of Hasidus, what it does is it arouses and draws forth the interior essence of the soul of he who learns it, and it reveals the interior essence of the Holy One, blessed be he. Let me quote to you of what our sages say. Our sages say that if you want to know, if you want to hear, let me read it to you directly. It's from the Sifri. It says, if it is your will to recognize he who spoke and there was a world, meaning God who created the world, then study Agadah, for through this you will recognize the Holy One, blessed be he. That means that while the bulk of the Torah is talking about the constitution of Judaism, all the laws of God, 
But then there's the other part of Torah, which is to reveal to us, to have us recognize the Holy One, blessed be He. That is the Agadah, which reveals the essence, the author of the Torah, not just the book of the Torah. And thus, this is now how we understand why it says the Agida, which is the revelation of the essence of the Torah which brings out the revelation of the essence of the author of the Torah, God, the Holy One, blessed be He. And it arouses the essence of the Jewish soul, not just the external faculties of the Jewish soul. Now we understand why the Zohar is saying that the Agita is the revelation of the Messianic era. Because what is the Messianic era all about? What is it all about? What is truly all about in its true essence is the revelation of the essence of the soul, the revelation of the essence of God, and to connect them through the revelation of the essence of the Torah, which God gave to us. Thus, Isaiah, the prophet, when he speaks about Messianic era, he says, and I quote you from chapter 30, verse 20 in the book of Isaiah, and your teacher shall no longer be concealed from you, and your eyes shall see your teacher. Now we have only the teachings of the teacher. But when Mashiach comes, we shall see the essence of the teacher, capital T. We're talking about God. This was Jacob's point of view. Jacob told his children, gather the Agida Lachem, and I will reveal to you the essence. I will share with you the revelation of the Messianic era, the Kates, when Mashiach comes. Jacob, from his perspective, from his point of view, he felt that he was ready and his children were ready to receive. He was ready to reveal. His children were ready to receive the secrets of the Kates, the Messianic era. Now, however, the minute he connected with his children to give this revelation, immediately the divine presence, the Shekhinah, the power of prophecy, lifted from him. And thus, he now saw that he could not transmit this to his children. Let us understand what happened here. Why did he feel he could? Why, when he connected to his children, it all of a sudden left him, it rose from him? It, uh, what happened here? So let's go into the story. The children of Jacob were not on the same level of their father, Jacob. They lived on a lower plane of spirituality, transparency, and selflessness. Thus, even though they were all righteous, and even though they truthfully said, Hear, O Israel, God is our God, God is one. However, they lived on a lower plane of divinity and spirituality and revelation. Jacob, on the other hand, lived on a higher plane of divinity and spirituality, transparency and selflessness to God. Thus, Jacob, from his plane, was able to receive and transmit the ultimate revelation, which is the revelation of essence, which is the revelation of the Kates, the Messianic era. However, his children, they were not able to receive that level. 
they weren't enough on a spiritual and holy level of transparency to be able to receive even the essence. They were able to see, receive the expression of divinity, but not the essence. It wasn't the time yet for them to have, and your eyes will see your teacher. However, Jacob, being in his spiritual plane, from where he was, even when he looked at his children, he saw them through the lenses of his spiritual plane, and thus he felt that they were capable of receiving this essence revelation, not just the expression revelation of God. However, when he connected himself to his children, he's actually going down to where his children are in order to be able to transmit this spirituality, this level of faith, this level of divinity and teachings. When he connected with his children, he thus was affected and was able to then see that his children were not capable of receiving that revelation. This is a very amazing concept in the self-sacrifice of when a Rebbe connects with his people. We find the exact same thing by Moses. Moses was on the Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights studying Torah with God Almighty. Imagine the level of Moses' spirituality and divinity. And all of a sudden God tells him, Lech Reid. Go, descend, because your people that you took out of Egypt have behaved, have acted corruptly. And he's talking about the golden calf. God is telling Moses, the Jews have sinned, go down. Now the question here is, why does every word is precise? Why does it say go, descend, both? God could have just said, descend, for your people have sinned. But no, God says, go descend. The mystical teaching here is precisely what I just shared with you about Jacob prior to connecting to his sons, seeing them from his spiritual plane, or when he came down and connected. According to Jewish mysticism, what God is telling Moses is, number one, go. Connect with your people. Once you connect with your people, which have sinned, you will descend. And this is the self-sacrifice of every single Rebbe, every single spiritual leader of his generation, from Jacob to Moses, throughout all the generations. They sacrificed their own spirituality because in order to transmit the teachings, faith in God, love for God, spirituality, they had to actually connect with their people, which was at a much lower level than which they were on. And thus there was the, quote-unquote, the divine presence lifted from him. So too with Moses, descend from your spiritual plane because you must connect to your people. Your people need you to transmit. They have sinned and they need to be able to do teshuva. Thus we understand what it means when God sent these specific amazing souls, the Rebbes, throughout each generation, Moshe was a Rebbe, he was called Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our Rebbe, to be able to sacrifice their own spirituality 
to be able to fulfill the job of nurturing and feeding their flock with faith, with spirituality, with a love for God, with the teachings of the Torah, the higher dimensions of the teachings, knowing that this would affect their own level of spirituality. But here we have a question. We're saying that these great souls sacrifice their own plane of spirituality in order to connect, in order to be able to transmit faith, spirituality, teachings, love of God. However, we just said that Jacob was not able to. Jacob changed the topic. He all of a sudden started blessing them. So why would we say that they should self-sacrifice dear great level if they will not succeed? He didn't succeed, seemingly, in transmitting the faith, the love, the spirituality, the divinity that he chose to and he searched to transmit to his children. So for this too, we need to have a better look at what happened to Jacob when he connected to his children on their plane of spirituality. So the words of our sages, when it talks about how Jacob couldn't give that transmission, is nistalka mimeno hashchina. Now the word nistalka means to go up. The shchina rose from him. Now God has many names. Why the name shchina? Shechina means divine presence. The word Shochein, for those of you who do your Shabbat prayers, you know the Chassan sing Shochein, Ad Maron. What does the word Shochein mean? The word Shochein means to dwell, to be drawn. When we talk about the Shechina, we're talking about God's presence being drawn to dwell into this world. Now let's get to the specific wording of our sages. Nistalka mimeno hashchina. That lifted from him. It rose up from him. That shchina. What does that mean? What that means is that the power of being able to draw the presence of the messianic error into this world lifted from him. Jacob was not able to do the shchina effect on the kates on the ultimate revelation, which will be in the Messianic era. Thus, now that we understand what happened, it's not that the power and the spirituality of the Kates, the times of the Messianic era, left Jacob. It's just the Shekhinah effect. Being able to draw it down is what left. And thus, Jacob had to come up with another tactic. So let us go ahead and see. So, we have over here, the Zohar tells us a very interesting teaching. This is in a different place in the Zohar, volume 1, page 43, column A. And over there he states that the prayers of the righteous never come back empty-handed. If Jacob set himself to connect his offspring with the essence revelation, the Agida, the essence revelation that will be revealed in the times when Mashiach comes and we will see our teacher, not just the teachings of our teacher. Jacob succeeded. That's a Zohar rule. The righteous succeed with what they pray for. Thus, let's give a, diff, a second look into what this verse tells us in how Jacob went about what he said to do. Two things happened. 
when Jacob was going to talk his final talk to his children. The first thing is the verse, chapter 49, verse 1 says, Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather, and I will tell you what will happen to you at the end of days. Gather, and I will tell you. Asifu va'agido. We already know that the va'agido means an essence transmission. By very by just saying, gather, and I will tell, essence transmission, Jacob has affected, even though he could not transmit to internalize this revelation of the Cates, the messianic era, to his children. Nevertheless, Jacob succeeded, listen to this, Jacob succeeded in empowering his offspring that through our work and service to God, that we be able to connect at least in an external, elusive, and encompassing way to the revelation of the case of the Messianic era. So he wasn't able to embed it, to penetrate us, to internalize it, where it becomes our tangible practicality of reality. However, he did empower us to be able to connect with what Mashiach is all about, at least in an encompassing, external, elusive, getting it, getting it, getting it, but not totally getting it, but we're connected to it. That's step number one. Let's read verse number two. Gather and listen, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. What is he doing here? He's changing tactics, not motives tactics he's still looking to do nothing else but to transmit to his children that are in exile in egypt to be able to transmit to them the essence revelation of the messianic era he wants them to have a connection not only with the expression of god through his torah the expression of the torah the constitutional part of the torah but rather he wants to connect them also to the messianic era where we will see our teacher we will connect with the author of the Torah, with the internal essence, the secret of secrets of the Torah. And thus, what does he do? When he tells them, gather and listen, verse number two, Jacob is finding a way through which to transmit that through which his offspring will be able to come to the revelation of the Cates, of the Messianic era. What did Jacob succeed? Bottom line. He connected us with the Messianic era, and even more than that, ultimately, Jacob did succeed and found a way to transmit the va'agida, the essence transmission, revelation of the cates of the Messianic era, which in, within which each and every one of us will be able to bring Mashiach. How can we bring Mashiach? This is above us. And the answer is, it wasn't above Jacob, and Jacob transmitted it to us. First, in an elusive, encompassing external way, and then finding a way to internalize that we can connect through our service and through the studies of the Va'agida part of the Torah, the Hasidist part of the Torah, that which talks not about the laws of God, but also the deeper dimension of the author of the Torah, the essence of God. And through this, we bring Mashiach and the revelation of the essence of God, 
the essence of the soul, the essence of the Torah, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that we shall see no more will our teacher hide from us in his external expression, but rather we will be able to see the internal essence of God in our practical day-to-day -day life. In closing, in closing, let's go back to the human need in a relationship to tell our story. Humans have a need to tell their story. Not just their story as their story expresses itself, but to tell the essence of their story. That's just how humans are programmed. We have the need of into me see, intimacy, to tell the essence of our story. We don't know how to tell, i.e. express, the essence of our stories, the essence of our very being. Transmission of essence, the va'agida, the agada, is a different language from the language we are used to expressing ourselves with. Talmud, let's talk about this for a moment. Talmud, which is more the legal side of the Torah, Talmud means to learn and to extrapolate. It speaks of the, the studiers, the students' control and power. Kabbalah, the Agadah, the mysticism, the Hasidus. This means, Kabbalah means to receive, likabel, to receive. It tells of the studiers' surrender and openness to receive, total different process. Additionally, the subconscious and the conscious have very different languages, which is why the interpretation of dreams as explained in the Talmud are very counterintuitive to what the conscious mind would understand. You should look into the Talmud Brachot page, uh, what is it, 55a, over there is two pages at the end of Tractic Talmud. It's unbelievable how the Talmud translates what certain dreams mean so counterintuitive but why and how how can that which seems to be negative actually be positive and the answer is because essence language is a different language than the way we express ourselves thus how do we learn this language how do we learn the essence language so that we can have true relationships with god with those that we truly love Thus, the way to learn the language of the Agadah, the language of an essence story, is to study the part of the Torah, namely the secret of secrets of the Torah, which are transmitted and explained in the teachings of Hasidus. Learn the parts of the Torah that speak essence language, that tells the essence story of God, and we will begin to learn the essence language not just the conscious mind's language, the subconscious mind's language. Little by slowly, we learn the essence language through the learning of Hasidus. And we begin, first and foremost, to use it in our prayers to God. Let me pause here for a moment. You know, sometimes in my prayers, I realize that I am not in touch with the essence feelings of myself to be able to share it in prayer. How do we get in touch with essence feelings, the essence story of who I am? That's why it's so important to learn Hasidus, to have the revelation of the essence of my soul, 
to learn the language of the subconscious. What and who is God beyond just the commandments of God? And when we learn Hasidus and we can take that essence language of our essence story into our prayers, now we're praying. It's not a negotiation. It's not a manipulation. It's va'agida. It's the telling of my essence story to the essence of God in my essence relationship with God. Then from there, we learn to bring the essence language into our relationships, getting beyond the imprisonment of an expression and learning how to truly tell our essence story to those in our lives who we trust with it. Thank you.